0: Well, we're going to continue in our series today, A Certain Truth. Today, we're talking about calling this Don't Look Back. I'd like you to step back in time with me about a couple hundred years. I want you to imagine that you're a a carpenter and I've come to you with a request saying, you know, I'm moving to another country. And I need you to build a packing crate for me. And you say, "Well, what are the dimensions?" I say, "Well, I, I'd like it about about six feet long, and and uh, may, maybe about, well, let's say, 28 inches wide, and maybe 18 inches deep. I think you could build something like that? Oh, and it needs to have handles on the side. And I, I'd prefer if you make it out of pine." Now, if if you were the carpenter and you got that request from me, would you be able to guess my occupation and my destination? What would I be? A missionary. A missionary. Heading off to some distant land. I'm not sure if it's really true or if it's missionary lore, but the story is that early missionaries would pack their belongings in their coffin. Fully believing they would never return back to their home country. Many died within years or even months of their arrival in distant lands. Usually succumbing to untreatable illnesses like malaria or tuberculosis, typhoid, yellow fever. These were not people who couldn't get a job, you know, at home and therefore went off. For some invention, these were not adrenaline junkies trying to conquer the world. What we call the modern missionary movement of the of the 19th and 20th centuries was led by brilliant men and women like Hudson Taylor, like Anne and Adoniram Judson, like Jackie Pullinger in Hong Kong. And of course, many more whose names you'll never know, you'll never hear about. It was started and led by people who who were the best and the brightest they came. Many of them came from, from strong career prospects, from wealthy families, taking the call of Jesus seriously for their lives. They left everything behind and gave up everything for the future, including their own lives to proclaim the good news to lost people. They went as doctors and educators and linguists and evangelists, and everything else you can imagine. Answering God's call on their life with total surrender into remote and unreached places. Missionaries. And today those stories seem, seem strange, maybe mythical, maybe foolish, right? Compared to my commitment to Jesus. I mean, I found myself asking this week, is there anything at all to which I say no? No. So that I can say yes to Jesus. Anything at all. I mean, if you, if you looked into my bank statement, would there be any indication that my commitment to Jesus is everything? I mean, what if you looked at my weekly schedule? Look in my calendar. What activities take priority? Several years ago, I think it was ten years ago, we, I went to the Philippines for the first time and I was told, you know, you might not be able to get coffee everywhere. Now that's suffering for Jesus. <laughs> I thought, man, what am I going to do? I am actually, I will admit, I'm addicted to coffee. So I weaned myself off coffee. Like, man, we are going all in for Jesus. <laughs> On the flight over, the wicked flight attendant came by with an evil temptation. <laughs> coffee or tea, sir? Okay, well, one coffee won't hurt. <laughs> so I drank coffee on the flight. And then we got to the guest house and they said, oh, would you like some coffee? And turns out I never had to go a day without coffee. <laughs> but my idea of suffering for Jesus might have been a little different than those early followers, those missionaries. And I, I do think the call to Jesus in some ways is harder now than it's been, not because of un- of the lack of comforts, but because there's just so many more distractions, so many expectations and opportunities. But the call has always demanded sacrifice. Saying yes to Jesus and yes to walking with other believers has always required saying no to something else. And I wonder in your life, have you? Is there anything to which you say no? This, I started learning this lesson when I was a, a, a child. A, a, in grade school, probably, um, you know, back when TV channels were few and DVRs didn't exist yet. And and even before Netflix or, or, or VHS rentals and everybody remember those. I never saw the last 15 minutes of the wonderful world of Disney. I think we've got a picture. Anybody remember this? Only in our house, it looked like this. Right. Right. <laughs> On a 13-inch or 11-inch screen. Do you know why I never got to see the last 15 minutes of Wonderful World of Disney? Anybody else suffer this hardship? Church started at 7. Disney was on from 6 to 7. Suffering for Jesus. You learn it early in a Christian household. Nowadays, I fear we would just show up 15 minutes late to church. That's not a guilt trip. not meant to be one. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, He encountered plenty of people who liked the idea of following Him. Many wanted to follow Jesus, but few actually did. Partly because Jesus did not make it easy. You know, God's forgiving grace is given to us through Jesus' death on the cross, and a new life is given to us through His resurrection. That's simple, But to make Jesus Lord of my life is a full-on challenge. We're going to read Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. I would like, if you've got a Bible, I would like you to read that, follow that with me. To see what Jesus himself had to say to those who would want to follow him. Because he's preaching, he's doing miracles, he's going around. And they love what they're hearing. Like, Jesus, I want more of this. And so let's see see what Jesus has to say. If you've got Luke chapter 9, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Luke writes this, verse 57 of Luke 9. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead or literally let the dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus told him. Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Thank the Lord for His Word. Let's be seated together. The last thing I want to do today is somehow make the good news of the Gospel bad news for you. So, work with me on this. This is still good news. Even though there's a challenge here. We have, in fact, a set of three challenges. It's, co- it's a common You know, literary device to record things in threes. Luke recorded the three temptations of Jesus. If you were here, you might remember when we talked about those. The temptations for pleasure, the temptations for power, the temptation for prestige. And how those three things, the pleasure, power, and prestige are, in a sense, a summary of every kind of sin or temptation you'll face. We're told that Peter denied Jesus three times. And three times Jesus restored him. You can read about that in John 21. Jesus sometimes taught his parables using sets of three, right, and so on. And every time it's meant to get our attention and and reinforce something vitally important, you've got to pay attention to this. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you again, I'm going to tell you one more time. So let's look at these three challenges to following Jesus. The first person calls out, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus. Of course, it's easy to make promises, right? Right. It's easy to make a New Year's resolution. It's easy to say, I'm going to go to the gym. It's easy to say, I'm going to read my Bible every day. It's easy to say, I'm going to, I'm going to eat better. It's easy to say, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to call my parents. Easy to make promises. But Jesus knows our weak spots. And so, for this first person, I think this guy's weak spot was comfort. And we have no idea what, what he or my, maybe she, it just says someone from the crowd called out. We don't know what they expected, but the possibility of being a homeless disciple was not what this potential follower imagined. See it there in 57 and verse 58. Foxes have a place, birds have a place, but I've got no place to even lay my head. We could say it this way to follow Jesus challenges my comfort. To follow Jesus challenges my comfort. Of course, you might say now, Brian. Having a bed to sleep in. It's not about comfort. It's a necessity. But not according to Jesus. Now, our youth group recently went to Mendota. What were the sleeping conditions like over there? Tents, lots of blowing sand and dirt. Wasn't very comfortable, was it? But, was it good you went? Yeah. Yeah, and they spent three nights sleeping on the dirt. Three nights, four nights, three nights, I think. Not too many bug bites, a few, I think. I don't believe Jesus was a homeless person. He wasn't a street person in that sense, but he claims he did not have a home or bed of his of his own. So that's Jesus, the son of God from the glory of heaven. He would have had to be dependent on the generosity of friends and strangers to take him into their homes night after night. How would that feel? Now, you've, you've heard me say and a number of times that God often demonstrates his blessing and his generosity toward us in material ways. That if you live a godly, biblical, you know, by, by godly, biblical principles, you'll likely accumulate material wealth. That's, that's just a simple fact. That's just a simple law of, of God's economics. Right? So, yes, God does tend to bless us even materially. But... Following Jesus is no guarantee of health and wealth. I just ask those believers in Iraq, in Syria, in Afghanistan, in and, and Libya, and Sudan, and Cuba. Ask them about what it means to follow Jesus. God wants you to know His love and His care for you. And even if that means He allows you to experience hardship, He will be with you in that all the way through. And that's hard for me to say. That's hard for me to, to, to admit, because I want to tell you, man, God's just going make it, to make it all go away and make it easy. Jesus would want you to know that following him is the opposite of a guarantee for an easy, comfortable life. He challenges our comfort, and we all love comfort. I wonder about some of the amazing examples we have. Perhaps almost an unrealistic hero like a Mother Teresa who, you know, sacrificed her comfort. But you can be sure she has no regrets now in eternity. Maybe this gets fleshed out in much simpler ways for us. Someone who needs a ride to church creates an inconvenience for you as you've got to go out of your way. Or maybe having your son or daughter in youth group puts a bit of a kink in your schedule. And it means you have to sit in your minivan for couple hours reading a book. I I don't know what it it might look like in your life, but where might Jesus challenge your comfort as you think right now, think through your day, through your week, where might Jesus challenge your comfort? The next man didn't call out to Jesus. He was invited by Jesus. Jesus points to him and says, hey, come follow me to which the man replies, "Okay, but first let me go bury my father. Well, what does that mean? Some have argued this has to do possibly with a protracted burial customs or that, you know, maybe you had to honor a year of mourning or or perhaps it meant that he he was going to make a commitment to go care for his father in his senior years. And maybe that's maybe that's two months or or 10 years. I'm just going to take care of this, this family commitment, Jesus, and then I'll come follow you. And we can't make too much because we don't exactly know. Of those details, but the point is that following Jesus demands a loyalty that overrules accepted practices and norms of society. To follow Jesus overrules the typical things we expect. We might say it this way To follow Jesus challenges my commitments. To follow Jesus challenges my commitments. There's an urgency to following Jesus, right? And and sometimes we'll have to break with the expectations of our parents or our kids or our cousins in order to say, I'm following Jesus now. It's different. I've often thought about Ricky and Karen Sanchez. We talked about them already in the the Thailand Team 2000. Fifteen years ago, that crew made a ten-year commitment to go to Thailand. And that meant grandmas would not be present at the birth of grandbabies. And then that grandpa's would not be running the video camera at school events. Event a great many things that that they wouldn't do or wouldn't experience because they had chosen. huh, not to be normal Americans. And all those things, you know, we normally commit to have for them and to be put aside for the call of God to serve in Thailand And, of course, in hindsight, with training centers and orphanages and churches planted and and believers and and just incredible transformation, yes, we can look back and say, well, obviously it was the right thing to do. They've been immensely blessed and they've they've blessed others immensely, but, but they paid the price and there was no upfront guarantee that any of it would work. In this story, the man says, well, let me go bury my father, to which Jesus replies... Let the dead bury the dead. Oh, that sounds cold, doesn't it? Does that sound harsh? But it's a way of saying, look, come give your life to the concerns of life. When someone's gone, there's nothing you can do to change their life or their eternity. It's only while someone's alive that their life can be changed. It's only while they're living that you can make an eternal difference in someone's life. I don't know if you saw this on Facebook, if you're in the Awana group, but two little girls gave their hearts to Jesus this week in Awana. Now, the, the, the leaders, and I, I'm not even 100% sure who those were, but the, the, the leaders who sat with them and shared the gospel with those little girls could just as easily have been home watching The Voice or whatever's on TV on Wednesday nights. And there's nothing wrong with the television. Don't put words in my mouth. But they were instrumental in changing lives for now and forever. What, the potential of those little decisions, of those little girls, could change their family. It could change who they choose to marry. It could change generations. It could change neighborhoods. It could change nations. And that needs to rock your world. And it might be helpful to think about it like this. Imagine a train is pulling out of the station. Jesus is there and he says, all aboard. And you say, oh, I promised to give my friend a hug. Goodbye. And now you have a choice. Do you you get aboard the train? Or do you go run and give the hug and miss the car as it pulls away? For some that train is baptism. For some that train is your decision to to give or support someone or a missionary. Or to, it's maybe that train is your call to serve somewhere in ministry or that invitation to go on a missions assignment in another part of the world. It might even be as basic as missing a child's your child's ball game so you can be obedient to something that needs to happen right now. Are you gonna board the train? I mean, what commitment might Jesus be challenging in your life right now? Because to follow Jesus challenges our commitments. And the third challenge, I think, is possibly the hardest. The man says, well, let me say goodbye to my, my family, Jesus. We might say it this way. To follow Jesus, verses 61 and 62. To follow Jesus challenges my community. He said, I'm going to say goodbye. And Jesus says, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is not teaching you to reject your family. Elsewhere, scripture reminds us to care for family in various ways. Jesus himself made sure someone was taking care of his his mother after he was gone. We can't use this as an excuse to reject family or friends. But you may need to choose. To commit to Jesus is to commit to a new community. For the believer, the family of God takes priority over your natural family. I'm going to say that again. For the believer, the family of God takes priority over your natural family. It takes priority over your fun friends, over your coworkers, over your ball team, over your Facebook friends and your school buddies. I'm not saying... You need to be here all the time. I mean I'm not trying to be cult-like here, but there's something about following Jesus and being a part of the family of God that's life-changing. Maybe this is easy for me, easier for me than for you. My natural family' is far away. and so this church is my family. but as some of us read this week in proverbs twenty seven When disaster strikes, writes the the wise person, when disaster strikes, it's better to go to a neighbor than to a brother who lives far away. Not to mention, I have close family everywhere in the world. For example, next week I'll be with, with Filipino brothers and sisters. Most of them I've never met, but I can hardly wait. I feel close already. They say blood is thicker than water, but I, first of all, I don't even know what that means. Do you? Secondly, I think it's the other way around. I think water, if you think of water as the the water of our common baptism, water is thicker than blood. And the problem, of course, is that when you choose Jesus over even your family at times, some will get angry. You may be misunderstood or maligned or mistreated by the very people who should be the most loving and supportive and helpful to you. You might skip a family Christmas because you're serving in Journey to Bethlehem. You might, you might miss a family event because you're attending Christmas Eve worship or involved in some way. Or maybe you get there late because you're bringing a, a lonely person to your home for the holidays. I'm not saying cut yourself off from family and friendships. I'm asking, are you on a mission with Jesus? Are you moving forward or are you looking back? I, I, I love my parents. I love my siblings. I love my in-laws and my outlaws. We've got a few of them all. Right? But since I chose to follow Jesus, the bonds of common faith for me, are stronger than the bonds of common ancestry or common experience. Someone here told me recently, I loved hearing this. He said, well, we don't like to go away on Sundays anymore. We don't like to travel on weekends anymore because we we want to be home with our church. I'm like, yeah, me too. That's awesome. And the image Jesus used is that of the the plowman. Right? If a farmer put a, a plow behind an oxen, it would take everything for him to steer the oxen and hold that plow into the ground. And he's got to watch to the end of the field to be able to go in a long straight line. And if he looks back to see how it's going, to see what kind of job he's doing and and what kind of mess he's making, guess what? He veers off. For me growing up in the in the raspberry patch, it was driving the tractor and you got you're in between two rows of raspberries and you're watching forward but you gotta watch what the implement's doing behind you and if, if you pay if you watch too long what's going on behind you, guess what? You just took out plants and possibly a fence post, it might have happened. Um, <laughs> Great, It's a big mess. What challenge is Jesus calling you to regarding your community? The circle closest to you. That community. What is, what is the challenge? Is your hand on the plow? And if it is, then don't look back. And I, I believe all these challenges, all three of them address the cost of discipleship for you and for me and the investments we're willing to make for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It might be a financial investment. Maybe it's saying no to a new car payment or a new TV so you can support a missionary or or send your children or someone else's children to camp. Or are going to serve the Lord to yourself somewhere or some way. You know, I've. I've Maybe you get tired of me sharing personal stories. My own parents, for example, modeled this for me in their retirement years, paying their own way many times. Over two dozen trips to closed countries to bring Bibles and and Christian literature to persecuted Christians. A couple of years ago, their, their Christmas letter to us, children and grandchildren, included a picture of a church building in Africa and writing something along the lines of, we wanted you to know that some of your inheritance helped build this building. Water's thicker than blood. And you know what? That's awesome. It's better than than anything I ever would have done with it. To follow Jesus will challenge your comfort. It's going to challenge your commitments. And it's going to challenge your community. Not everyone's ready. Everyone's willing. I just wonder, when you just track through these things personally... You know, what could it mean for you? What might it mean for you to follow Jesus in these areas? Because I think it comes back to this question. Is there anything that I would say no to because I'm a follower of Jesus? Is there anything i say yes to only because I'm a follower of Jesus? And... The warning, of course, is that if your relationship with Jesus is the last thing to go on your list, it's the first thing to fall off when things get tough, when life gets busy, when life gets stressful. But when it's at the top of the list, guess what? It hangs in there no matter what else you've got to strike off that list. Isn't that cool? Why not take his invitation? I'm going to invite Kurt and the worship team. I think we've got one more song for us. It's a song about faith. It's a song about trusting God no matter what the circumstances. And I know we're, we're pretty careful about how we do things here. I didn't really plan for this, but it's always best if we respond in some way. If the Lord is tugging something in your life or... If you would like the Lord to speak something in your life, can you make a point to respond in the way the Lord would have you do that? One thing is that the front of the stage is open here. And if you're saying, "I I just want to pray, I just want to get on my knees before the Lord and say whatever it is you want to say, you can do that during the song. This is open. There's a couple of people in the prayer room right behind you. Maybe you want to pray with somebody. Maybe you got a big decision you need to make. Maybe there's a scenario you're facing. Maybe, maybe you've got a something you're trying to work through. Maybe there's somebody you're very concerned for. Someone you're bringing to Jesus. Whatever it is, why not respond this way, this morning in some way, and see what God's going to do with that? Let's stand together. Jesus, I'm I'm a little bit shocked at how You spoke to those three. Jesus, I, I, I guess my inclination would have been to be much more passive, much gentler on them. Lord, I, I think we would have wanted You to offer like just try it out for 90 days first. I think we would want that for us and yet You say, make a choice. Follow me or not. Lord, I, I, just, I admit it's terrifying for me to think what that would mean. And So I, I confess, I need Your help to be able to say yes to You. And yet, I know You're so gracious, Jesus. I know You're so compassionate. and I know You're so gentle. I know that You don't snuff out a smoldering wick. And so, God, we come to You with our feeble faith, We say, help us, Lord. Help us today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.